You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 285. Hello everybody and welcome to the show. This is going to be weird for me because I have already recorded the second half of the show, but you haven't recorded the second half I know half nothing the about the second half of the show. You haven't even edited the second half of the show nope. yet. I've edited the second half of the show. You haven't done anything. What are you even doing here? I mean, hey everybody. Hey! <laughs> we are the Family Gamers. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful and now stern-looking wife, Anitra. That's me. <laughs> long-suffering. You forgot long-suffering. I mean, I feel like that's every week and everybody <laughs> should know that by now. Anyway, uh, so <clears throat> this week on the Family Gamers podcast, this is an odd number, so we do, in fact, have a guest. The guest is me. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of the guest is me. I also have with me in the second half of the show, Mark Spector. I was in Reno, Nevada this past week at the Gamma Expo, yeah. which is very exciting. And as a consequence, I have a lot of stuff that I have done. Yes. And a lot of planning for the future. So it was very exciting week for lots and lots of people, the family gamers included. You came home very energized and ready to do a bunch of new stuff. I'm so sorry. Which is mostly good. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see how all that stuff goes. But for now, we are just recording episode 285. Yes. And as it happens to be, as I do, I just have a so fact happens. Miracle about 285. The actual fact itself is kind of boring which okay. is that uh, i-285 is the interstate that surrounds atlanta georgia okay so we were on i-285 briefly a couple of weeks ago maybe i uh, think it's so. possible yeah it's possible uh, but i have some fun stories about i-285 that okay. I, thought I that i would share with you let's see in july of 2019 something happened on i-285 and the back doors of an armored truck opened on the highway whoa and a hundred seventy five thousand dollars in cash blew out whoa <laughs> the article that i read said that i-285 drivers risked life limb and arrest to engage in a cash grab that made national headlines few who took advantage of the perimeter payoff returned any money to police Shock. What? The total return as of the time that this thing was written, which was actually back in 2019, was $6,201. <laughs> oh, I mean, at least somebody returned some. Yeah. So good for that one guy who collected six grand and returned it. And the other, uh, you know, 167 or whatever thousand dollars is gonzo. Gone. So. That's only my first fun story. Okay. I have a second one. In 1982, Atlanta Braves pitcher Pascal Perez, not to be confused with Pedro Pascal, who played the Mandalorian, <laughs> became okay. widely associated with I-285 after he got lost on it while trying to drive to a game. On August 19th, 1982, Perez, who had just received his first U.S. driver's license, decided to drive himself to Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, where the Braves played their home games at the time, where he was scheduled to start that evening's game against the Montreal Expos. He was unable to find the proper exit oh, and no. circled the city several times before running out of gas oh. and calling for help. Oh! <laughs> when Perez failed to arrive at the stadium by game time, the Braves called upon veteran pitcher Phil Necro to make the emergency start. 
The Braves, oh. who had been mired in a 2-19 and slump, won the game, kicking off a 13-2 and winning streak that carried them to the National League West Division title. Wow. The team subsequently made for Perez a warm-up jacket with the notation I-285 in place of his <laughs> uniform number. <laughs> oh. The humor of the incident was credited to helping to improve the morale of the team and breaking the losing streak. Because they had somebody to mock for the rest of the season. <laughs> but they mocked him and at the same time were like, no, no, it was good that you didn't show up to the game. Well, I mean, not because he was going to do badly, but right. just kind of the whole thing in general. So oh. those are my fun two stories about I-285, an interstate that surely tortures many of our Atlanta listeners on a regular basis. We also have a less funny, but also helpful and relevant ad from our sponsor. So you know how when you're playing a game and there's something that gives you bonus points at the end of the game? Like the bonus for getting butterflies back to Mexico at the end of Mariposas. It is almost always a good strategy to try to get those points. In real life, there are a few similar opportunities for bonus points with your personal finances. One of the easiest to take advantage of is an employer 401k match. Another one is making sure both spouses are maximizing their social security benefits, not getting hit with the government pension offset. Or, even simpler, maximizing your retirement savings so it can grow before you need it. If you need help seeing which areas of your personal finance you should be focusing on, visit firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and schedule a time to talk free to First Move Financial. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. So, Anitra, I have turned the tables on you. You have. So normally with what we've been playing, I'll have a whole bunch of games and you'll be like, I played three and two of them were with you. It is the opposite this time. Oh, yeah. All right. So I was at a trade show for board games, basically. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, I played a bunch of board games. You don't say. Yeah. So the first one here is a game called Wizard Kittens. This is very cute. This is from Magpie Games. And in Wizard Kittens, you play as a bunch of kittens who were goofing around, and you accidentally opened a book that released a bunch of curses. Okay. And your goal is to try to cancel or solve or clear or whatever the curses before the librarian comes back. Okay. That's the premise of the game. In this game, you draw cards and... You can slot these cards into three different rows in your tableau. And what you're essentially trying to do here is to put together the appropriate card to complete a curse. So it's like a set collection game in that way. Okay. After you draw your card, you have one of, I think, four of these other abilities that you can do. One of them is draw a second card. One of them is swap two cards. One of them, I think, is discard two cards. And then there's another one. And you always put a token on whatever you picked so that the next time it comes around, you can't pick that thing again. Just to kind of keep things fresh. That's essentially the game. One of the interesting things about the game is that as long as you haven't scored 10 points yet, if the librarian shows up, Mm -hmm. if you have the least number of scored points from clearing curses, you can say, oh, it wasn't me. I wasn't guilty or whatever. Okay. If you have more than 10 points, you basically automatically lose. If you clear all of the curses before the librarian comes up, whoever's the most points wins. Huh. So that's kind of the the end game is weird and interesting. So if the librarian shows up, it's whoever has the least points 
who wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's a fairly basic, straightforward game, but it does some interesting things. Like once you hit the point threshold, you actually want to be helping everybody else because you don't want the librarian to show up while there's still curses out. But you don't want to help other people so much that they end up with more points than you Mm -hmm. because then you're going to lose the game if you get all the curses. So... It's got some interesting pieces to it, even though the mechanics of the game are, are really, really simple. And it's also super adorable. I mean, adorable certainly doesn't hurt. That sounds cool. Like, I was listening, I was like, okay, yeah, it sounds fine. But that endgame condition can make it really interesting. Something similar that we saw years ago in Shikoku, where it mm-hmm. is, yep. you want to be in second place. And that really shapes your strategy for the entire game. Yep, yep. So... It's got a really interesting twist at the end when you're like, okay, this is a fairly vanilla kind of game with, you know, mm-hmm. oh, you, you score the curse, but then be, this whole librarian mechanic really, really swaps some things around. Next yeah. game I played was Dice Miner. I think I talk about this in the second half of the show. It's really confusing. I recorded the second half of the show before the first half of the show, so I'm trying to remember what I actually talked about. These things happen. Yeah. Dice Miner is a game from Atlas Games. This is a game that if you ever played Pyramix, from Game Right way back in the day. I don't even know if they still sell it, but it's got a similar thing, except in Pyramix, you have an actual like three-sided pyramid. In Dice Miner, you have just a slanted cardboard thing that kind of represents the mountain. And so you're drawing dice off of this mountain thing, and those dice allow you to do different stuff. It might be falling rocks, which are bad unless you also have a pick, which turns them from bad to good. And then if you have a pick, you want as many falling rocks as possible because you're going to get points from them. If you have dragons, dragons are bad unless you have a shield, and it's basically the same thing as the as the rocks and the picks. Then there's magic, so maybe you get a die that is potentially good, but it's on a bad face. Magic allows you to re-roll dice. Then there's just regular white pip dice that you want to form a straight with. And a couple other small things. If you draft a die that has a beer on it, you can give it to someone else. They roll it and do whatever they want, but then you get to take two more dice off the mountain Mm -hmm. and keep them. And there's slight selection mechanics that kind of change that a little bit as well. Everybody has a different player, so you have asymmetric player powers. And that's actually pretty much the game. At the end of the round, I think it's a three-round game, you pick up all of your dice except for the ones that you lock in your treasure box, basically, which also is another die face, and you re-roll them, but you keep them with you. So your collection of dice is growing over the course of the game, and it gets a little bit more uh, complicated. Next on the list is a game that you're excited for. I'm very excited. Last week, the week before, a couple weeks before that, blah, 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 blah. I got our copy of Three Sisters, and I played a game of it, and I was very bad. Like, my score was half of what it was the first time we played. It was not good, and I won. I don't know. Sometimes the dice just don't go anybody's way. It was one of those things where at the end of the game, I'm like, we must have missed something. We're just in a loud hall, and like, this just doesn't seem right. Something, we messed something up. So we'll play that more. It'll be fine. Do you want to go a little? <laughs> um, yes, sure. I would love to. I will talk about one of the three games that I played in the past week that you did not bring home from Gamma. We are wrapping up our unit on Greek ancient history. Mm-hmm. So we played some Seven Wonders Duel and used the discussion guide and research guide from the Game Schooler. That's actually super awesome. So how is the guide? So there's two different guides. One is a discussion guide, which kind of bounces in between like what do you know about the history but focuses more on analyzing the game mechanics of what would you do differently here how would this look different if we added another color of card type stuff like that but the research guide which i don't have the exact name of it in front of me at the moment 
is really just resources of like, hey, let's learn a little bit about each one of the seven ancient wonders of the world portrayed here, which is a perfect fit for what I'm trying to do, which is a, hey, let's just make sure that you have knowledge now about all of the things portrayed in this game. Sure. So that was super helpful. We also found a local library to us that lends out board games. And so we were able to go get a copy of Santorini which I had played in the past, but our son had not. I actually had never played it before. And I knew it was going to be a great tie-in with Greek mythology. And after playing it once, he was like, wait, you said this is based on a real city? And that kicks off like, let's study a little bit more about, you know, not so ancient Greek geography and things. It's really amazing because Santorini, like as a city, is beautiful. It's so like, gorgeous. It's so yeah. pretty. And the game captures it way better than I expected because it looks so unnatural. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, And it's built into the side of a cliff, which even the game board hints at a little bit with the way yeah, it's it, set up. Uh, the game board makes it look a little bit more like a uh, plateau. Yeah, yeah. But, well, I mean, it is a game. Yeah. So we've definitely been having fun with both of those. I made a dumb little TikTok video where... Ooh, dumb TikTok videos. That's what TikTok is for. Is I dumb mean, it's videos. what it's for, yep. where on St. Patrick's Day, I was sure we would be playing some kind of game that was themed around luck or Ireland or clovers or something Celtic. And no, we played Santorini yeah, a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, now that we've had our little break, go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> uh, our interlude, our intermission. Okay, next on the list is Curious Cargo. I'm not going to talk about this because I know we talked about this in the second half of the show. All right. This is a two-player game from the guy who made Pipeline, who I know came up in our interview with Matt Riddle. Yes. Because it was the bear market game or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Same, same guy. Same guy again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's about all I'm going to say about that. Next on the list is Meeples and Monsters. So I remember you being really excited about this after PAX Unplugged. Yes. So Meeples and Monsters is a relatively basic meeple bag building worker placement game, more or less. Okay. It's a little too long. Okay. But, but it is too long for me. It's the kind of game that Asher, our 11-year-old, is going to love because it doesn't get, it's not too mechanically complex, but it's got a lot of that mechanic. Sure. Well, that, I mean, we'll see. Long, right? We'll see. So, well, I sat down and played it with Matt Felici and Mark Spector. That's when we played this in the airport because we were just like, let's get out of here. They're, they were allowed to smoke in the casino. So mm. it, was, it was just gross. Kind of gross. You know? yeah. So we're just like, they can't smoke at the airport. So let's go there. And the game took like two and a half hours. Ooh, it just, buddy. It was just a lot. And, you know, I mean, that was me remembering how to play and, and everybody else kind of learning how to play and stuff sure, like that. Sure, sure, so, sure. But, you know, we made some even mistakes. So. Too, but whatever. Next on the list is Watergate. This is a two player game from, well, in this case, Capstone Games that basically captures Nixon and the press, Woodward and Bernstein, okay. during Watergate. All right. And it's a very like sparring back and forth. One of the central mechanics of the board is the influence and momentum balance back and forth kind of, you know, okay. seesaw thing. And every round you're putting more evidence out and you're trying to pull the evidence toward your side and you're mm. trying to pull the momentum and the initiative toward your side. And if you're the press, well, actually either side. If you get the evidence on your side, you get to pin it to the evidence board, which looks like one of those things with like the strings. and the, Okay, yeah. yeah. And if you're Nixon and you get them, you put them face down. If you're the press and you get them, you put them face up. And you're trying to make face-up connections between Nixon at the middle and two co-conspirators. Mm. And if you can do that, you win as the press. 
Sure. As Nixon, all you're trying to do is prevent that from happening. So Right, right, right. Uh, if they run out of evidence, you win. If you can get your momentum all the way to five, you win. Mm. First of all, I felt terrible because I played as Nixon and won. But <laughs> that seems to be the problem with this kind of yeah, game. I know. It's I've like heard... playing as the the Catholics in Sola Fide and winning and be like, <laughs> yeah. mm, I don't know sure how I feel about that. Well, I've heard that Nixon gets more powerful as the game goes on. I don't know how true that sure. is or not. But it's funny that you mentioned Sola Fide because even though they're completely different games, like Sola Fide is very clearly an area control game. Yeah. And you could make an argument that the evidence board is kind of area control in this, but it's not really. The push and pull felt very similar to me. Because okay. in Solofide, you're moving whatever, those two things, influence and yeah. military yeah, yeah. or whatever it is. Uh, and it's very similar in this, even though it looks different. Uh, and the end game mechanics, the evidence board versus the actual control of the regions is different. Mm. But I felt a lot of the same things. Again, two-player game. I mean, a lot of good-themed two-player games have that, the the push and pull. Even Seven Wonders Duel, like, there are multiple ways to win, but one of the coolest ones is if you can achieve a military victory by pushing your military all the way over to the other side. Right, right. So, so that's Watergate. Somebody described it to me as the best two-player game they had ever played. Wow. I'm not there yet, but I'm definitely willing to play this one a little bit more. I mean, yeah. this is a game we're going to review, so it's going to get a lot more play. All right, and now for something completely different. Well, let me add one more. It'll be my last one, and then okay. you can talk about the rest, because the other games on my list you already played. I played Strike, finally. This is a simple dice-rolling game. I get to play it with Tim Eisner, which was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Strike is fun. Do you know anything about this game? I know it's got a board that's kind of like a bowl that yes. you roll the dice into. Yep. and that's it. <laughs> that's most of what I know. Okay, so the nice thing about it is the bowl thing is part of the box. So yeah. You take the cover off the box, you take the bag of dice out, and that's your board. And it's right there, sure. So everybody has however many dice you can fairly allocate with the dice in the bag, which means you can play this with almost as many people as you want. Sure. And I think you start with a die in the bowl of a certain number. So somebody will throw a die in, and if the numbers match, they take the match out and add them to their collection, and their turn is over. If they don't match, they can keep going until With they get more a match. dice. One, one, one at a time. Okay. Obviously, if they don't match, like the sixth one is gonna match something, right? Sure, sure. And th and that's kind of it. And once you run out, you're you're out. The one is an X. If the X is rolled, that die gets pulled out, and it's. Gone. It's gone from the yep. game. So there are no one matches. They just don't okay. exist. If you match and pull the last set of dice out, the next player has to roll all of their dice. Oh. And they only get to take their matches back. Oh, man. Yeah. That's the whole game. Sure. And then whoever has dice at the end wins. Oh, if you throw something in and it bounces out, it's as if you rolled an X. It's gone. Sure. Sure, sure. So, so that's it. It's very simple. It's just fun. You know, I mean... It's it's a good game to have played on my way out of Reno, Nevada. With your description, I can understand why a lot of people like it. That's it's very light, almost all luck. Some of the same things that we find that people enjoy in Roll for It or Yahtzee or something like that, where it's just fun and like, oh hey, I got a match, or oh no, I didn't get a match. Do I want to press my luck and keep rolling more yep, dice to exactly. get something, or am I going to play it safer and stop here? Yep. Yeah. And that's it. That's the whole game. All right, cool. So uh, that's my big long list of stuff that I've played. So you also got a chance to play Santorini. You played at least one with the God Powers, right? Yeah, or, we played yeah. twice back to back, and that's all I played. Yeah. I won the one with the God Powers. Oh, yeah, you did. You're right. I'm definitely enjoying that. I don't know how much longevity it's going to have in our family, but that's okay because we got it from the library. So I only have 
three more things on my list. Uh, one is Skulls of Sedlek, which continues to live in my purse yep. because it's a nice two or three player, 15 minute game. Uh, and then there's the two that you brought home from Gamma and we played together. We played Magic Mountain. So this game. It's Plinko with just enough strategy to be interesting. And it's barely strategy. This game has no right being as engaging as it is. None. This is a super fun, quick little game, you know, of rolling a marble down a hill and you're looking to hit some kinds of things and not other kinds of things. Not that you have much control over that. And that's basically it. There's no reading required. So if your kid is trustworthy with things like marbles and... Like they don't eat them. Yeah. Well, and, you know, not going to try to knock over the game board or something. They can play this game. I mean, in some families that could be as young as like two. For most families, it's going to be somewhere around four. So the game is this. You have a game board, which is double thick cardboard, and the top layer of the cardboard has paths carved in it that go basically down a hill. It's got little clips that put the board at an angle. At the top, you have, I think, six of these wizard students, air quote, lined up at the beginnings of all of the paths. Six or seven, something like that. Yeah. Maybe in the next kind of third of the board, there are four of these witches on various places there's an actual path drawn on the board itself which switch it's yeah a switch so that's back that's more like a zigzag that goes across back and forth yep. over the inset paths yep so along the switchback zigzag path are these various colors and so you pull a marble out of the bag and it's one of the colors of these gems and you start it at the top of any one of these paths and you let go if it hits something which it always will the you know the first time because you have a line of these people yeah you pick up that person and move them to the next spot on the path of the color of the marble that is the entire game if the marble hits something else you move that thing down and you keep going until the marble gets all the way to the bottom your goal is to try to get four of the students to the bottom before three of the witches get to the bottom and that's it that's the whole game that's it. The only other thing is, if a marble doesn't hit anything on its way down, you move a witch. You move one of the witches. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It has no business being as engaging as it is. None. It's just fun. It is. It is so fun that we asked Elliot. We are like, Elliot, <laughs> come play the game. Come on. Come on. He's, he's like, oh, like, do I have that to? Thing that he does because he's seven, and that's what he does. He comes over. We play the game, and then he starts doing some stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm setting it up so we can play again. I'm like, what? Did you thought have fun? you didn't want to play. Yeah. Did you have fun? And then he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can't quite admit it. Right. He refused to admit that he had fun playing a game that I made him play. But yeah, so that is Magic Mountain. This game, I'm so impressed with this because it's so simple. It's quick to set up. There are no rules. I literally explained the entire game. Yeah. I mean... This is definitely more of a kid-type game, but we're certainly having fun playing it. I kind of want to go play it again. And like, I am not advocating for making this a drinking game, <laughs> but it does fall into that Hobba lane, is all I'm saying. But that's it. It feels very much like that kind of Hobba game where it is almost all luck. There's a tiny bit of like decision-making in the skill. more And a microscopic amount of dexterity, because if you pick up that guy and put them down before the marble rolls past where the next spot is and it hits him, you can move that guy again. You can again. move him again. That's yes. in the rule book. So there is a tiny bit of dexterity skill involved there, yep. but the rest of it is luck. But it's luck where you get to make decisions. Mm -hmm. So that's part of what makes it fun. Yeah, this game did a very good job threading a lot of needles. Yeah. 
to be a successful game. And Amigo is really trying to grow its brand in the States. Like some people have heard of games like Saboteur, but th- their brand presence as a board game company isn't huge no and this is the kind of thing that i think will really help them especially at those younger ages yeah i think so too so the last one we've got here that the two of us played together was sherlock case connection all right so i'm gonna let you finish but let me just say this thank you very much to lucky duck yes this game is not out in the united states yet and it will not be out in the united states for a couple of months most likely at least a month for sure it was fortuitous that we ended up with a copy of this game. But I am very thankful to Brie and Vince for making that possible. And now that you've said that, I'm going to say this was really cool. This is a licensed game using the images from the BBC Sherlock miniseries. Yeah, with brown bag cucumber. (laughs) You're just going to keep getting worse and worse on this. (laughs) I mean, why not? Everybody knows who I mean. With Benedict Cumberbatch. Doctor Strange? (laughs) Yes. But all of the cards in this game use images from the series, which is like really pictures, cool. Not like drawn images, yes. like actual photographs. Like photographs. And it's great, but it also is 100% family friendly, even if you wouldn't want your kids to be watching the show, because the little bit of you know gore and things like that that do show up in the show, not in any of the cards. Like the scariest thing in this entire game is the fact that the bad guys have a skull on the backs of their cards. Like, that's it. Literally all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's no reading required either. It's completely language independent. Microscopic numeracy. You need to be able to count to 10. Like, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But it was super fun. You So you start with these lead cards um, and you pick one and it becomes kind of the center of a little tableau that you build, trying to connect it up with all kinds of various clues that you find out in the main play area. On your turn, you're taking two things from a location in the main play area and those two things can both be clue cards or they can both be these little connection tokens that represent evidence or one of each or it can be one of each as long as it's from the same area and what you're doing is your lead card has these little symbols on it of the kinds of evidence that you need linked in a path from where you start so you're just looking for clue cards where you know oh there's a yellow symbol on the right of my lead card. So I need a clue card with a yellow symbol on the left edge. Mm -hmm. And you put them together and put the yellow evidence token in between them. Great. That's all set. You've made the connection. There are other ones where you need to make two connections. So one will be directly up next to your lead card and the other one will be a step further down the path. Yep. They call them indirect connections. Yep. And once you fill that in, You set your lead aside with all of the points that it gains you. You get to save a couple of things from your main tableau and you start all over again. And it becomes this very good turn-based race to get to the point threshold first of nine points. Yeah. So this isn't like a deep gamer game or anything like that. No, definitely not. There are some lucky kind of things to this game. Mm -hmm. Like if you're in a really tight spot... You can kind of like hate draft and take tokens that you know someone else needs. Mm-hmm. There's an outlet for that, which is that a player can trade in any three of identical the same tokens token yeah. to get a wild token. So it, you can't fully stop someone, but you can definitely slow them down. Yeah. But this was really cool. I am really looking forward to playing it more with the kids. And it has that multiple layers of appreciation in there that you and I, who watched the show years ago now, years ago. Um, <laughs> 
are looking at it and being like, oh, I remember that. And oh, our kids would love this scene. And oh, our kids would hate this scene. It's a good thing they haven't seen it. <laughs> Meanwhile, the kid we were playing with was just like, all right, cool. Like, this is how they go together. And there's some people's faces on here, but I have no idea who anybody is. And that's fine. Yeah. I mean, this game is at its core kind of an abstract path building game that just happens to have pictures of Sherlock scenes on it. Like, yeah. that's, that's what the game is. And, and that's, that's fine. fine. But I will say, more so than any other game, definitely attracted people because sure all of my bags were packed i was ready to go i was waiting there now anyway uh sorry that's yeah anyway benedine creosote does that to people (laughs) (laughs) creosote that's funny everything was full like i had no room in any of my bags when i got the opportunity to take a copy of this game to bring home so i was carrying it or i had it rubber banded to like my little roller bag thing and a lot of people's heads turned to see what it was because they recognize Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. And they recognize that guy whose name I can never remember. Martin Freeman. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> also a very good actor. It's, yes. Oh, he's excellent. It's, Don't it's get too me wrong. bad he ends up in Benedict Cumberbatch's shadow all yeah. the time. <laughs> so, I mean, the reality is that people will see the game and be like, I wonder what that is. Like, this is a game that is going to like target. Like, this I, is I not sure even so. a yes. Barnes and Noble level game. Yes. It's just not. But it's great. It's a great game to be the scaffold over which you just hang out with your friends. Yes. And it's also a great game that you can play with kids. This can go down to any level. There's no reading, like you said. So, yeah. That's Sherlock Case Connections. I did ask for permission to talk about it. Yeah. There are some pictures. If you're curious of what we're trying to explain here, we're not going to release our review for a while because we're going to kind of time that with when the game comes out. But there are some pictures that I put on the internet on Twitter. Okay, cool. And if you have questions about it, ask us. All right. Well, I think that's going to be it for this half. Let's take a break and talk about a different Sherlock game (laughs) and then go into some Gamma stuff. All right. That sounds great. We'll be right back. So there are plenty of fictional detectives that are recognized in pop culture, but there are none that quite match the enduring appeal of Sherlock Holmes. Van Ryder Games has a whole series of interactive graphic novels that let you step into that famous detective's footsteps. Playing games is elementary, my dear Anitra. (laughs) This is a snap review for Sherlock Holmes Baker Street Irregulars, a cooperative graphic novel adventure written by Sed and illustrated by Ghrelin for up to four readers. You take on the roles of the Baker Street Irregulars, a gang of kids who help Sherlock on certain cases within London. This graphic novel adventure is rated for ages eight and up. Cases can take up to 90 minutes to solve. That's right. So Anitra, let's talk about the art in Baker Street Irregulars. Ghrelin is a comics author. It shows in these books. Their art is a great fit for this series because the faces are expressive And there's an excellent use of detail to direct your attention to important clues and away from information that's not important. So there are slight differences between the same panel for different characters, and that really captures the mechanics of this game. It's super neat. It's super neat. Speaking of the mechanics, let's talk about how to play the game. Everyone who's playing should take a book. The four books each follow a different character. Ike is big and strong. Vicky is nimble and flexible. Wiggins is the leader of the group and a keen observer, and Myrtle is a master of disguise. 
You'll need a sheet of paper or something else to take notes on. Maybe a detective notebook. That might work. Sherlock himself will get you started on page one of each character's book and direct you to the mission log for more instructions. Once you've picked a mission, you'll bounce your way through the books. Don't read the pages and panels in order. Follow instructions and numbered clues to find out where to go next, like a choose-your-own-adventure. Keep an eye out. Each character will have some opportunities, or numbers, that are available only to them. So let's talk about what we expected from this game. Well, a few years ago, we worked through Sherlock Holmes' four investigations with our daughter. This was a single book, but it had four mysteries in it that you can work through repeatedly until you find a solution for each one of these. We really, really enjoyed these, even though they were sometimes pretty hard. We also knew about The Crusoe Crew, which was the first one of these four-person graphic novel adventures. And we were really excited to see these two ideas, Sherlock Holmes and this cooperative adventure experience, coming together. But there were a few things that surprised us about this Sherlock Holmes adventure. Yeah, maybe not quite surprises, but things that just took us off guard. Sure. When you work through these books as a team, you have to communicate very, very clearly and examine your book carefully. When we played as a family, we missed clues that only showed up for one character because someone else was getting impatient and hurried us forward through a scene. We took it a second time through, and I said, hey, what about this thing right here? And I was like, ha, huh, nobody well, mentioned that last time. That would have been helpful. It's also very tempting for kids to read other panels because they're pictures. The story is spread out enough that it probably won't give them major clues, but it might make it easy for them to get sidetracked. Just maybe. Yeah. The instructions tell us that it's possible to solve all of the mysteries as any single character or any combination of characters. Not all options will be open, but there should always be enough there to solve the puzzles. But we really struggled with two players, and the few places where a solo puzzle is specified, it is very hard, especially for families and at that family level. Yeah. But this is Sherlock we're talking about. Remember that the master detective doesn't even take on easy cases. It's appropriate that these mysteries are hard. But they are much easier with three or four players and a little bit of time. So just make sure you have enough people ready to play. That's right. So do we recommend this game? I'd recommend Sherlock Holmes Baker Street Irregulars for a family ready to dig into some really challenging puzzles. Although the recommended age on the box is 8+, I'd only play with a child that young if you're really ready to help them patiently search through the details and work through the puzzles. I think this set is probably better for 10 or even 12-year-olds. So, Anitra, what are we going to rate Sherlock Holmes Baker Street Irregulars? I think we should give it 3 out of 5 picture panels. Okay. And that's Sherlock Holmes Baker Street Irregulars in, in a, a snap. snap. Hello and welcome, everybody, to the second half of the Family Gamers Podcast. I am your second half host, Andrew, and I am here with the most handsome man that I shared a hotel room with this week, Mark Spector. That's me. (laughs) Hey, everybody. We are, um, I guess we're no longer at the show floor. Um, We are in the Peppermill Resort in Reno, Nevada. We just had the Gamma Trade Show. 
Yep, post show. Yeah. So it's it's the big wrap up. Uh, yep. The bags are packed. The <laughs> room has been checked out of. We got harassed by uh, by the the cleaning people yep. just before we left because like, of late checkout. But that's right, they're like, do? get out. We have a job to do. Yep. Yep. So we are here all day long because I don't know how to read a schedule apparently. <laughs> no. So we're gonna play a whole bunch of board games today for nothing. It's because the only flights out of Reno leave at midnight for purposes of time change and overnightishness. So everyone listening to this can be impressed because it made it out on Monday because I will be editing this on the plane. That's at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so this was a different kind of Gamma trade show. First of all, first trade show since the pandemic. Yup. Uh, pretty much the Gamma 2020 was like as the world was melting down. Yeah, seriously, I canceled my plane tickets the morning of. I was supposed to fly out and I <laughs> yep. said, nope. Yep. And now we're back, but everything's uh, very different this year because media is is part of the show. Well, yep, it's a whole new gamma. So we'll start with this because you've been to uh, this show before. It's a trade show, so it's kind of industry only. What was different for you? Uh, in the past, when I attended Gamma, I kind of didn't know what I was doing, and so I spent a lot of time and money and didn't get much out of it. But for me, as a small publisher, uh, this was definitely a banner year. I mean, or a great way to be reintroduced to the Gamma Trade Show, or Gamma Expo, I think is the official name now. You know, I'm with PSI, so I was with a great group of people and had a space where retailers approached me. You know, we showed off Endangered and Garinto and the Holiday Hijinks games, and they all resonated. You know, different stores with different focuses all seem to be keen on one or more of them because they know their customer base. So for anybody who hasn't been listening for a long time, we're kind of longtime friends. Uh, that Mark, is true. I, I suppose we met through this whole uh, crazy board game endeavor. Uh, I believe the first time we had you on the show, I called you the Grand Poobah oh, did of you? Grand okay. Gamers Guild. Yep. That seemed to fit with the grand theme, but uh, that's kind of why, um, um, you know, Mark and I are, are talking about this stuff, because your experience is very different from my experience. Yeah, that's true. Because I am part of that first entree into media exposure at Gamma Expo, other than a couple of special people who have been doing it in years past. But, right. but I digress. For us, it was an interesting show because... Everybody here, like, really has a dog in the fight. They're not just consumers of the product. Now, in the board game industry, I would say, if I'm being realistic, I would say probably over 60% of the people who work in the industry are also gamers. Oh, goodness, yes. Um, I'm not sure what you're doing in this industry if you're not also a gamer. Well, if you include sales and some of the high-powered marketing stuff, like, I think a lot of those people, they're in the industry of sales and marketing. They're not necessarily Ah, in the industry of gaming. So if you look across the spectrum, I was going to say 75%, and I felt like that was a little bit high. I think here, it was probably 90% of the people that come to something like this are also gamers. But I think if you look across the industry, it's probably not quite that high. But so there's a certain level of, of appreciation and kinship for everybody who's here because we're all invested in the industry as well as having kind of this whole shared experience thing. So totally. obviously, if you go to a consumer show at PAX Unplugged, even at Gen Con uh, or an Origins or something like that, everybody loves games. But there's that uh, relationship that frequently can be antagonistic between a publisher and a consumer. It's just, it's a different kind of a relationship. Yeah, so, absolutely. And antagonistic I mean, might be a strong term. Yeah, I wouldn't I don't think say it's antagonistic, antagonistic. But I mean, but it's, a, it's a commercial relationship. Yeah, it's a transactional you know? relationship. Yeah. That. So that has definitely been a little bit different. I would say to anybody listening, stay tuned. I tried very hard not to 
bring a lot of games home to review because I only have my carry-on luggage. And yet, it is a very full bit of carry-on luggage. Well, I played the metagame of Suitcase Tetris yes, you uh, did. this morning to make sure that I got everything in, but some stuff that I'm super excited for, if you check out our Instagram, I, I shot a picture of Magic Mountain, which is this almost themed Plinko-type game from Amigo. I mean, it's a kid's game. Like, we talk about a lot of games. Sometimes they're, you know, family-weight games. Sometimes they're kid's games. Sometimes they're more advanced games that, you know, you can play at a family level. Magic Mountain is a kid's game. Like, let's let's be clear. But I was almost disgusted with myself at how immediately invested I was in this game because of what was happening. Because the... the like Because the, it's magical. It, I, sure. It yeah, because it's magical, yes. So that's something that I think that we'll probably uh, be turning that one around fairly quickly. It will probably be a snap review. I think as soon as I play it with the kids, the playing of this game in my house will take on a life of its own. Uh, you know, it's one of those games that the kids, down to probably five, can pretty much understand how to play this game, which uh, is uh, is very good. So... That is Magic Mountain from Amigo. I remember loving Plinko on The Price is Right when I was a child. Of course. Everyone loves that. Yeah, (laughs) it is a little bit different. Like, it's a slanted cardboard board that Uh marbles are rolling down. So it's not like it's hitting the thing. But it does have branching paths in the same kind of a way. Um, So we'll talk about that very soon. I mean, that literally is going to come out of my bag and get played this weekend, probably before the show is actually published. So um, a little bit of how the sausage is made. We'll be recording the first half of the show after we've recorded the second half of the show so it is in fact possible that we just talked about this 10 minutes ago for everybody who's listening <laughs> but, but um no we haven't gotten that one out of the bag yet but we played a couple of games this morning yep so what do we play uh what did we play we played curious cargo that was actually our second game of the day mm-hmm. um which is a tile laying a network building almost a uh Unique pickup and delivery, in a sense. Kind of, Although yeah. you're just yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. pick up and delivering in a, in a circle, in a cycle. Right, right. It was not honestly my type of game. I think the rule book was markedly more complex than it needed to be. <laughs> I felt I felt like by the end of the game, I rewrote it, and, and it was a page in my head. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think you could simplify it to a page, but I do think you could... You know, I think we said while we were playing, like, if you had more simple rules and also a fact that kind of covered some of the edge cases, you wouldn't have had to have explained the edge cases in the rules, and it would have made it more simple. Right. It was enjoyable. Contrary to Andrew's belief, I would play it again. <laughs> Although I'm not sure that I'm ever going to ask it for it to be taken out. Okay. So, But yeah, you enjoyed that. it the heck of a lot more. You didn't enjoy it quite as much as I did. So uh, this is it's a path-building game where you have to build paths uh, of pipes in either blue resources or red resources. And that's on the easy version because there's a third there resource. There's a third resource in the harder kind of expert mode of this game. And you build those pipe paths from the outgoing pipes. There aren't even outgoing pipes. From the engine pipes yeah. or whatever. There's uh, like to, a source. Yeah, it makes me think very like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. There's just a source from which all the candy flows. Yes. Uh, <laughs> to the shipping docks and then you play truck cards to get the trucks to go in but this is a a two-player game and so the end of my shipping dock is attached to the beginning of your receiving dock essentially and so as i push my trucks out the door once i load stuff onto them i push them onto your side and i need to be ready to receive you need to be ready to receive them with the same kind of pipes to receive stuff right and if you're not as i keep pushing the trucks eventually they'll fall off the end so you so i get points for shipping stuff you get points for receiving stuff but if i push stuff off the end that you haven't received you're not going to get those receiving points yep Uh, and that happens on both sides of the board so on the left side i'm shipping out and on the right side i'm receiving and so it does get a little bit noisy on the board itself because there's pipes everywhere because you're drawing these two they're rectangles so they represent kind of two squares you're drawing all these pipes and you're trying to play them and maybe you have to play over some 
something, but they have to be flat, so you have scaffold things that you can slide underneath. It's just a lot of noise on the board. Yep. But it's basically an abstract strategy puzzle game that has a couple of pieces to it that make it synchronous. Uh, sure. Instead of it being a fully asynchronous game. So that's Curious Cargo. It's done by the same guy who did Pipeline. So if you know how complicated Pipeline is, it's probably not too surprising to hear that Curious Cargo is also complicated. The other game, did you think was less complicated? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. I, and I think the big um, the big difference is in the ability to grasp the games on the front end and mm-hmm. then be in any way effective. I was very ineffective in Curious Cargo. Mm-hmm. And even though my score in Three Sisters was terrible... So was mine. I still grasped what I needed to do. I just need now to take the next step and figure out how to do it well. Yeah, I, I don't think this is going to surprise anybody who's heard us talk about Three Sisters. We obviously we had Matt Riddle on the show two weeks ago. We, I think we missed a lot of things, uh, just in terms of forgetting, because when you draft one of the dice you get to take the die action and also the action that's on the board and we kept like forgetting one or the other because you know it was kind of a loud lobby area and you were learning the game and yep. you know, we're going back and forth or whatever so i think that artificially suppressed our scores totally um, there's no doubt that i forgot at least two to three actions that would have <laughs> pushed everything up because it's what i love about it is and this is not going to be a surprise to anyone who's well versed in rolling rights is it's that system where you move up one track and it trips other things and then those trip other things and it's very satisfying and it's very uh it is clever and it makes you feel clever Mm -hmm. and when you you know miss that two to three times that inevitably is gonna you know impact undermine uh your your final score i would say that three sisters is still a combo tastic relatively complicated roll and write like fleet dice was before it yep but i think fleet dice had more crazy combo stuff in it than this did not by a lot, but a little bit more. And, yeah. and I haven't played Fleet Dice in so long that... I, yeah. mean, I played a prototype probably back in 2015 or something. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've you know we've talked about Three Sisters a bunch of times on the show. It's going to keep coming up, so yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about the show. Um, did you get a chance to walk around much? I walked around a little bit, um, and it was cool. One of the things, as, as an exhibitor at the show trying to connect with retailers... I didn't want to be that retailer. I'm sorry, that exhibitor, that who publisher. Who was never at their booth? No, 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 no. <laughs> who went around and made other exhibitors talk to me when I'm not their purpose for being there. I know how exhausting it is to be at a show. Mm-hmm. And when someone asks you for a full explanation of a thing when they are not your target audience and they have no intention <laughs> of buying, I mean, it's rough. Right. But that's also true. I did not want to be away from my space for very long. It yeah. was like my security zone. And, you know, if I'm not there, I'm missing opportunity. Right? Of course. Of so, course. so yeah. Yeah, I went around. It was cool. I saw some things, said hello to some people, mm-hmm. and tried not to be that guy to them. <laughs> One of the things they did, so we've got in late Tuesday night. Yep. So there was some media stuff on Tuesday that, unfortunately, I wasn't able to take a part in. But on Wednesday, they did this thing called media speed dating. Mm. And with this, this was really a cool thing that Rachel Blasky, who's uh, now with Gamma, kind of thought up, which was you go in and there's 15 tables set up. And I, I guess publishers had to, like, buy these tables or whatever. No, we got um, or just last week or something, we got an email. And in a very short window of time, all the opportunities, the 15 opportunities had been 
swept away. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's actually good. That says like next year there oh, needs to be absolutely. 60 totally. or whatever. Well, you know either I mean? that or, or they do multiple sessions. Yeah, you know, yeah that would be fine too. And not, and not allow the same people to be in the same session exactly. or, or something. Yeah, that would be a very long day. Uh, but so kind of what this was is a media channel would sit down at a table with a publisher and the publisher would have three minutes to pitch the game that they're showing to kind of explain the game and show it whatever. And then Rachel would yell out, okay, everybody switch media, you talk now. And then I would have three minutes to kind of pitch what we do at the Family Gamers and talk about that. And that was really fun. I got to sit with Justin and Anne-Marie DeWitt, mm. who are Fireside Games. So uh, they have a new expansion to Castle Panic coming out, which I think is going to be the biggest change in the game since Wizard's Tower. There are other expansions that have just been a little bit more of the same. Uh, but this one is, uh, it's got like quests and stuff and there's kind of just different stuff going on on the board. So that's kind of interesting. They are also, and people have probably seen this, they're doing a full art refresh on the game. It is heavily inspired by Dragon's Lair. Oh, okay. That's uh, a very uh, nostalgic aesthetic. Yes, so yes. they'll definitely pull some people in the with that. The knight on the front looks like the guy from the, whose name I can't remember oh, anymore. yeah, I don't... With the big chin. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I'm pretty excited for that. I also did make sure to ask for anybody who's curious, like... The new expansion that I'm talking about that has the quest and all that stuff, it does not have cards that mix in with the deck. So if you have the old stuff, you can still buy the new expansion because it's it's not like the card backs are different. You can't mix them together kind of thing because you know an expansion card's coming up or something like that. So I was glad to hear that. That game looks looks great. It looks wonderful. I mean, everybody knows Castle Panic. Some people love it. Some people love it less. You know, a lot of people think, like, there's one right thing to do every turn so how much strategy can there possibly be in that game but i think this new expansion is really going to mix some of that up and so it's going to be kind of interesting to see and i look forward to working with them on that in the future sure so well, it's a great accessible family co-op yes right? i yes, mean that's is. where it shines right so. dads don't quarterback moms don't quarterback let your kids make mistakes it's just a board game exactly thank you let that castle come a tumbling down <laughs> So, yeah, so, like, in the expansion, like, there are towers that are, like, out on the board in various places, and so you actually play as a character who has the, one of the towers is their tower. So, yes, you all care about the castle, but also you're, if your tower is still up, you have some asymmetric player powers. If your tower falls down, you're still playing, you just don't have the special powers anymore. So there's an extra added personal benefit to defending against the monster in that game, and that, I think, makes it a little bit more interesting. I also saw a game from Portal Games called Everybody Lies Batman. And this is probably going to be a little bit darker. Uh, I think we'll still cover it at the Family Gamers just because of the IP and the Batman IP. And, and, you know, definitely preteens and teenagers are probably going to be able to handle that content. Uh, But it is based on their detective line, which is, I mean, an award-winning, you know, line where you are trying to solve, uh, you know, cases of various stripes but in this you're doing it as uh, the world's greatest detective so i love batman i have friends who love batman the day this was announced like a couple months ago or something i emailed it to a bunch of people and was like so this is coming out who's playing um so i'm really looking forward to that one as well not gonna lie more of a superman fan but you know that's fine i totally get it why you would put this ip on top of yep. detective i mean it is uh Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. I mean, the problem with a Superman game is if you play as Superman, you just kill everyone. Well, they don't kill. I mean, that's not what Superman does. Right. Unless you're angry Superman. But uh, from, from, you know, from uh, Man vs. Steel, or Man of Steel, or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> or there's Red Red Sun. Is that what it is? That, is I don't that know. the, the oh, one? Oh, yeah, that was the, the Russian yeah, Superman yeah, yeah. guy or something like that. But um, no, it's it just like when you're you know virtually indestructible, unless everybody's carrying kryptonite, like. What are you going to do in the games? Right. Whatever. So I'm looking forward to that. And 
after that I had to I had to ski daddle because I had an appointment so I didn't get to see a bunch of the other stuff that was going on there but there's some really cool stuff that is coming I did meet with folks at AEG I while ago released a TikTok video of meeples and monsters which is a meeple bag building worker placement game which I saw at PAX Unplugged and an absolute blast with that game I now have a copy in my bag my bag is a lot heavier than it was four days ago. Yup. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of like the, the really, really big highlights in terms of product that I will be talking about in the very near future. We really had an opportunity to sit down and have decent conversations with some people about what works, what doesn't work, you know, what we can do for various publishers, what you know they can do for us and stuff like that. So in that way, I mean, it's probably more industry, businessy kind of stuff than, you know, what we're normally going to talk about on the show, but it was a really cool convention in that regard. And we did eat some excellent food, albeit uh, Las Vegas level expensive. Yeah. Um, I mean, the food here was pretty good. Those poached eggs were really like, they, I, I know you said the food looked good this morning. Those poached eggs were I was definitely jealous perfect. of your breakfast. You you won breakfast. There is no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. it's on you to try to win lunch then. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I mean, you know, I, I don't know how much is kind of really worth bringing to the table in terms of the podcast. There was a lot of good relationship building at a show like this. Uh, I got to play more Garinto, which was great. Yeah. So um, that was that was a good time. Oh, and I played Dice Miner, finally. Oh, okay. Have you ever played this game? Do you know nope, anything about this game? Nope, I've seen it. I've seen it. It was at the Gathering of Friends last year, and I didn't have an opportunity to... Okay, uh, well, the alarms are going off, so... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Somebody just walked by with the alarm phone bang or something. unique ring. Yeah. So, anyway, Dice Miner... So, way back in the day, I think we actually reviewed Pyramix. This is a game from GameRight, where it's an Egyptian-themed game, so it's a pyramid with dice that come out that you are pulling out of the pyramid, and as you pull them out, things slide down, and things are revealed underneath. Hmm. That same kind of a mechanic is what you do in Dice Miner, where you have a slanted board, but you only have, like, one face of... Right, I remember seeing it, actually. Yeah, and so you are drafting dice off of this, and then you roll those dice, and you get victory points based on, you know, certain requirements and things. Everybody has their own player powers. Really kind of adjust some stuff, too. It's a pretty clever, neat kind of game. Uh, Definitely something that fits a family, like, environment very, very well, even though it's not a kid's game. So, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of stuff going on. I did get a peek at the Sherlock game coming from Lucky Duck. They only had it in French at the time. But but actually, the game components really don't have any words on them. It's an interesting kind of, I don't want to call it a path-building game, but you have these goals that you're trying to get that are different colors, and then you have characters that you're trying to connect together. I don't know, whatever. It would take me more time to try to figure out how to explain this game than anything else. So there's a lot of other scattered things going on uh, in there, and I hope that there's going to be a lot that comes out of this show for the family gamers. Uh, but I wanted to give everybody kind of a little bit of a insight as to what was going on, and it was better than waiting a week on the show. Agreed. So, Mark, is there anything you want to uh, share? Um, anything else? I don't know. I mean, Grand Gamers Guild continues to do its thing. We'll be having uh, another line, another game in the Holiday Hijinks line coming out in the not-too-distant future called The Birthday Burglary. Other than that, the expansion of the Artemis Project goes on Kickstarter, Satellites and Commanders at the end of April. And, um, you know, just find us at grandgamersguild.com, subscribe to our e-newsletter, and social media. If you subscribe to the Grand Gamers Guild e-newsletter... You might see a picture of me in front of one of those amazing places oh, yes. that we ate. Yep. Oh, and actually, here is one other thing I will plug quite directly. And this this literally happened while I was at Gamma. So uh, we decided to do a promotional Ukrainian ambassador card for Endangered. 
It is up on the website right now. It is $5, and all proceeds will go to a relief organization. So, yeah, if you're an Endangered fan and you want this promo for yourself, or if you want to jump into Endangered, you can buy the game with the promo and some other goodies that we have up on the site. Go to GrandGamersGuild.com and look for the Ukrainian Ambassador promo card. Awesome. That's a, a great thing. I think you were, like, on the plane when you were showing me the art for it or something like that. Yeah. Uh, we literally uh, created a Facebook Messenger thread and formulated it in sort of real time all through Facebook Messenger. And awesome. I said, hey, guys, can you do this while I'm gone? And they all figured it out. Joe came up with the mechanics. Uh, Josh graphic designed it. And Glenn got it up on the website. That's so, amazing. So, so, yeah. Great job uh, all around on that. All right. Well, uh, there's lots of different ways that you can find the Family Gamers. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Family Gamers AA. You can head over to the community. The easiest way to get to our Facebook community is to go to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community. We are always welcoming new people to come in there, find out about family games, and, uh, and, and really share, ask questions, whatever. It's a great place to be. Check out our merch. We have a new balanced fun design that we just put on the merch site about a week and a half ago. It's designed by our 13-year-old, and we think it's great, and you should check it out by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. You can always email me, Andrew, at thefamilygamers.com, or Anitra, Anitra, at thefamilygamers.com, or you could email Mark, I guess. Yeah, sure. Mark at grandgamersguild.com. If you have a product <laughs> question, if you want to yell at me, I did something wrong, whatever, whatever works for you. <laughs> All right. Please don't forget to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Pocket Cast, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. If there's a place where you cannot find us, let us know, and I will um, let the appropriate person know or something. I don't know what I'll do. I'll do something. All right. Well, we are gonna we're gonna get out of here. I think we're actually gonna sit down and play a game of something else oh, that yeah, we have in the bag. The other title that you had. Watergate. Let's play Watergate. Yes, Watergate. All right. We're going to do that. But until next week, everybody, play games with your kids. Yeah.